We have to take in the moment here. I have to take you back to uh, 2020. I'll never forget that Easter. I did a live YouTube video from my kitchen table. You know, it was, it was Easter Sunday, but it rang hollow. I'd rather have this, personally. Amen? Yeah. Feels so, so good to be together this morning. The whole weekend has just been electric. I came into the church this morning, the ministry center across the street, and I said to Pastor Eric, nothing like fresh pork being cooked on a griddle on Easter morning. And his response was, well, Jesus changes everything. <laughs> that was quick. I like that one. I like that one. I want to pause and thank our deacons for doing a great job of hosting our pancake breakfast. Yep. And... Uh, Yep, we had some sausage, we had some coffee, we had some orange juice. It was a great way to start off our day. And I want to tell you, I met my stunt double at the pancake breakfast this morning. It's right over here. Nick, stand up for us. Yeah. <laughs> Without even a text message between the two of us. We wore the same shirt, same pants, all the way down to the shoes. And Nick said, if for some reason you cannot continue this morning, I got you. So he said, you know. Just here we are. Let's do this. So we're ready to go. We're on all cylinders. Well, as we start this morning, I want to give your attention to something amazing that happened this weekend. Yesterday, opening day of the Mariners, 11 to 1 win. Yes, thank you. Like that. But some of you missed, and I had missed, I had to go back and see it, that Ichiro gave the first pitch of the opening season for the Mariners. And I have that opening pitch for you right here. You've got to pay attention to this. Here it is. Suzuki. Catching the pitch. Yeah, Ichiro, all right. Now, I have watched a lot of first pitches, and I will tell you there was something a little different about that one. Most times there's some dignitary that's out there, and they have trouble even making it to the plate. It's like bounces into the catcher. It's like, you know, everybody kind of like, eh, you know, okay, that's good. Ichiro throws a scorching 93-mile-an-hour fastball <laughs> to the catcher. And I'm like, everybody's stunned. I mean, this is major league quality of pitch. It's like, this is awesome. I ask you this. It was a good thing. I mean, it, feel, it makes us all feel good, right? 
Did it make any difference in the game? Answer, no. Huh. 93 mile an hour fastball. Didn't make one statistic in the book. Didn't count as a strike against any batter. It made no difference at all in the game. Put a pin in that. Hold that thought right there. For Christians, we make this amazing claim that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, that is the centerpiece of our faith. It's the very bedrock of our faith, and it's a very radical claim. No person has ever died and risen and continued to live before, and most of the world would look onto that and would say, you know, either they're apathetic towards it, like, I don't really care, or maybe I don't even really believe it. It's, it's untrue in some way. And you've heard before sermons and articles in which the validity of the resurrection there's a case made for that. And by the way, I think there's a great historical case for the validity of the resurrection. I'm not, putting, I'm not down on that in any way. I'm, I'm glad that people are, are making those kinds of cases and helping us be reasonable about our faith. But Christians, we face a second issue or a second problem related to the resurrection of Jesus. And the second problem is, does it matter? Does it really matter today in this 21st century life we lead? So what? Even if Jesus rose from the dead, what difference does that make in your life and mine today? Like Ichiro's pitch, 93 miles an hour, so what? What difference did that make at all? And people might ask that question about the resurrection. That's the same as what was happening early on in the church's life. People were asking, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And if he did rise from the dead, what difference does it make? And boy, Nick and I are on the same path today because 1 Corinthians 15 is where I want to be this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 14, it's on the screen behind me. This is what Paul says. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says two important things there. Number one, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we really don't have any faith. But number two, if he didn't rise from the dead, and here we are, people believing that, we're just to be pitied individuals because we've staked so much in this life upon that. Today, I want to talk to you about why the resurrection really does matter. And I want to give you some important reasons why the resurrection still matters today in your life and in mine. Now, in order to make sure we are on the same page, I want to make sure we all are talking the same language when we say Jesus resurrected. There's a couple things we do not mean by this and a couple things we do mean. One of the things that we don't mean when we say that is that simply Jesus' legacy lives on. You know, you've heard people say that about somebody who's dead. They say, well, you know, he's still with us. And when people say that kind of thing, they, they don't mean that that person has risen from the dead and that they're with us. They mean that their legacy or their memory or something significant about their life is what translates and we have the memory of that as we continue to live on. Can I give you an example of that? 
I've been to Cuba with my wife a couple of times now. And you know, we love the Cuban people. I love what God's doing in Cuba. But one of the things that we find is that when we go places, there is state-sponsored graffiti that ends up on certain walls. So you're driving along and you'll see a mural or you'll see a a spray paint of something or a painting of something that's state-sponsored that's telling the people something about uh, the government or something about the history of the country. This is one that I found and it's Viva Fidel. For those of you who don't know Spanish, that literally means Fidel lives or long live Fidel. And of course, that's a reference to Fidel Castro the leader of the revolution and the one that's the head of the communist, was the head of the communist party as they came into power in the 50s. And here's what I want to bring to your attention. They're not saying Fidel Castro still lives today. He's just in a different part of the island. No, they're not saying that. They're saying that the significance of his life is what continues to live on. His memory lives on. His memory continues to inspire us as Cuban people. By the way, not everybody's inspired by that. A lot of Cubans, uh-uh, no, I'm not buying that. But that's what the government continues to say to the people in order to keep them in line. When we say Jesus resurrected, we don't mean that just his legacy continues to live on. That's true, but that's not what we mean. We mean something way, way deeper than that. We also don't mean this. We don't mean that he was just resuscitated, meaning that he lived, he died, and then he died again. That, that would be the cycle of being resuscitated partially, but then dying again. And C.S. Lewis says, of all the people I feel the most sorry for, it's Lazarus. You remember the story about Lazarus. Lazarus is in a tomb Mary and Martha, his sisters, are so broken up because Jesus wasn't there. Jesus arrives on the scene, and he, you know, he says, hey, I'm here, and I'm the resurrection and the life. Let me call Lazarus out of that tomb. And Mary or Martha, I can't mention which one said it, but uh, I, I love this quote. She said, oh, Jesus, don't open that tomb in, in King James because it might stinketh. You know, I, this, this might be bad. Because, you know, dead bodies have a way of putting off an odor that we don't want. But Jesus disregards all that, and he has that tomb opened, and out comes Lazarus and all of his grave clothes. They take those clothes off him, and he's alive. C.S. Lewis says, I feel sorry for that man, because he had to go through death. He was resurrected, had life, but then he decayed and died all over again, another physical death. When we talk about that, we don't mean that about Jesus. We don't mean that Jesus died permanently. We recognize that God arrested the process of decay and decomposition and corruption that was all in Jesus' body. No, that didn't happen with him. He came from the realm of death and he had a transformed body that was the new vehicle now for his being and he continues to live on today. And that's something that's Never happened to anybody in the past. It's going to happen to some people in the future, but it's never happened in the past. So so now that we've got what we mean by resurrection down, I ask you, does it matter? Does that make a hill means difference in your life today in the 21st century? I want to give you three reasons of why I think that this has immense importance for us 
And the resurrection does matter today. The, the, the fact that it happened and the fact of the significance of it happening does matter to us today. Let me give you three reasons why I believe that and I hope that you will also adopt that today. The first reason for the resurrection and why it matters so much is it assures us of God's forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of God's best gifts to us. A certain psychologist once said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured that they're forgiven. Half my patients, I just wouldn't even see anymore if they could know that they're forgiven. That's true for all of us because all of us have a proverbial skeleton in the closet. (laughs) There's something that we've done or something that we've said or something that we've thought and that we're deeply sad about maybe even ashamed about. And our conscience nags us, it torments us, it even condemns us. I think back to my uh, high school years. I worked for my uncle on a farm most of the summers. We picked peaches. We, we actually had machines and we would go into orchards and uh, he offered his services out to those guys and they would pay him in order to come in and pick their peach crop and I was part of that crew. My uncle uh, had a kind of a yard in which he parked most of the equipment. We did maintenance on that equipment and that's the spot that was kind of our hub. We kind of went out from that spot each day and then came back to that spot. And on that land, he had a small little office. It was kind of his office where he had a phone and, you know, he had some files and stuff like that. That that office was normally locked. One of the things that was in that office was a big case, stacks of cases of soda. And I remember, you know, seeing that. And one day, the office was open. There's this stack of sodas there. He would use those sodas to put them into a vending machine that he would sell those sodas, both at that location and other spots in the town. So that was the case of sodas there. And I remember looking, kind of just that ripe moment of opportunity, and I was like, nobody's going to notice a case of sodas gone. So I snuck a case of sodas out, put them in my car, and started drinking Pepsis. I mean, hey, hey, here we go. To my great surprise... My uncle noticed the next day. And he actually accused one of his foreign workers of that crime. I didn't say anything. I let that man take the blame. Not my best moment. (laughs) All of us have a skeleton in the closet. It's the great American writer Mark Twain. I have him up here for you now. Man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. We're ashamed. And sometimes we don't feel forgiven and as a result of that we aren't honest with God, we don't show our face to God, we don't show our face to others whom we've wronged. And it's because, again, we feel this conscience that troubles us. Here's the big news about the resurrection. God forgives not only the little sins, but the big ones too. 
And there's a sense in which he is coming in order to say, your sins are forgiven. Jesus even told people that in his earthly ministry. He said, your sins are forgiven. He even tells us his mission. He says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And so he's constantly tying our forgiveness with his death. That's what he's constantly doing. And he's saying, because I've died, I'm able to offer you forgiveness. And the question remains, well, how do we know that Jesus is correct about that? How do we know that he indeed can offer that to us? And if Jesus never rose from the dead, I, I, I think I'd be here today saying, well, I don't know, he can say that, but I think the resurrection is tilting out into this, the scales and saying, wow, and I think he can carry that out. I think he actually has the ability to offer forgiveness to you and me. <laughs> I'll never forget when I first came to know Jesus. I was in college. I hadn't grown up a Christian uh, in my high school years, my elementary years. I came to know Christ in college, and I remember I was driving my little Toyota pickup, and this was all starting to kind of like come clear to me. And I remember one day I'm driving in my pickup, and I'm just realizing I'm actually really forgiven. Like, God comes and says, remember the Pepsis, I, I, I can forgive that for you. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is like big stuff that I, I can be forgiven. And I pulled my little pickup off the side of the road, tears in my eyes, because this is like, this is fantastic news. This is life-altering news. And Jesus rises from the dead, and as a result of that, he can confer something to you today you need, forgiveness. We all need it. And it's a, it's a great gift given to us that, that we just pinch, pinch me. It's, it's too good to be true. And Jesus' resurrection confers that to us. All right, let's move on. The second reason why the resurrection of Jesus matters so much is because it assures us of transformational power. I don't know about you, but I need forgiveness in my life, but I also need power in my life. I need power to become a different person. I don't want to be the same old person I've been. I want to become somebody that's new. And so we ask the question, does God really have the ability to change human nature? Can, can God take selfish people and make them generous? Can God take cruel people and make them kind? Can God take rash people and suddenly make them self-controlled? Wouldn't it be marvelous if that was indeed possible? I want to tell you on Resurrection Sunday... It is. God's power changes human beings, human nature, and he's able to do that as a result of the power of Jesus. And that's one of the amazing things that he gives. He has power to transform you, power to transform me, and power to put brand new appetites into you. New appetites. Some people, uh, before I came to know Christ, there's no way I wanted to pray. There's no way I wanted to read the scriptures. There was no appetite on the inside of me to do those things. And suddenly I come to know Christ and there's things that are existing. I suddenly want to be in church and sing. That had never been true of my life before. That was true of my life after that. New appetites are blooming on the inside of me. There is the possibility of large-scale change with you, transformational change with you, as a result of Jesus and the cross and his resurrection. Let me give you the one prime example from the New Testament at least, the Apostle Paul. He's known as Saul before his conversion. And he's a religious guy. In fact, he's a very dutiful religious guy. 
And he sees all these Christians going around and telling the message of Jesus, and he's saying, that is diluting our message. That's diluting the law of Moses, and I've had enough of it. And so I'm going to go round these Christians up. I'm going to help to jail them. I've got enough power to do that. And he's on this, this crusade of going and rounding up Christians in order to try to stop the message. On his way to Damascus, he is struck down by God. He's struck down onto the ground. He loses his sight. And suddenly, he is radically changed as he goes to a man in the city who helps to restore his sight. And he's restored on the inside. And Paul is now this guy that's no longer a persecutor of the church. He's actually a part of the church. And we see his life change on so many fronts. The same resurrection power that God displayed in Paul's life is available in your life. The same resurrection power God has given to so many people over so many era, millennia, is available in you. A brand new life, a life of righteousness, a life of peace that's now breathed on the inside of you. And so my question is, well, how does that radical transformation power happen? I mean, how does that, how does that occur? And, and I have to tell you today, mm, honestly, it's a little bit mystical. I, I don't know if I could do a little formula for you of how that happens. How does God change people? It's, it's a little bit like, well, you know, wow, I'm trying to explain love here or something. It's, it's difficult. It's got dimensions to it. But this is what I can tell you. That transformational power happens as a result of us drawing close to Jesus, of us knowing him, of us loving him. Let me give you a story here. It's a story by Wayne Cordero, pastor in uh, Hawaii. And he tells the story of dating his wife. He says, when I was dating my wife, Anna, one thing I admired about her was her love for sports. I love sports too. But he said, there's two sports that I do not love. He says, I don't want to offend you if you do love them, but these are two that are not my favorites. Here they are. The first is bowling. He says, I can't understand it. You pick up a cannonball and you throw it down a beautiful maple floor that's oiled. And it goes down the lane and it disappears. That, thank goodness, it disappeared. But all of a sudden, now it's back in a little chute that's next to you. It's like, what is going on with this? You throw it down again, it comes back. He says, you repeat this a number of times and then you get ready to leave and they want to charge you for throwing that ball away. And he says, not my favorite sport. He says, my other not favorite sport is roller skating. Four wheels, rather clunky. And he says, this is the thing about it. They always expect you to go in circles, right? You got to follow the rule and always go in circles. He says, that's not a manly sport at all. <laughs> he says, this is a true story. I went on the first date with my wife. I knocked on Anna's door. said, I was so excited. And I said, what would you like to do tonight? You hear what's coming. She said, how about bowling? And she got out her case that held her own bowling ball. Cordero says, I said to her, I love bowling. And we went and bowled that night and I had a fantastic time. Next week, knock, knock, knock on the door. What would you like to do tonight, Anna? She gets her roller skates and says, let's go roller skating. He said, she said, uh, do, you, do you like skating? He said, I've been waiting for months for somebody to invite me <laughs> roller skating. So they went skating and had a great time. 
He said, I look back on it now and I ask, what changed me? What changed me? What changed me in which I went and actually enjoyed doing those two things I had hated? It was because of my relationship with that girl. Because of the love I had in the relationship with her, change was easy. The power to change is predicated, he says, upon your relationship with God. How often I think, God, it's hard to do the things you're asking me to do. Hard to change. Do I just grit my teeth? No. Jesus is constantly saying, why don't you just come closer to me? Why don't you come closer to the cross? Why don't you let me restore and renew our relationship? And it has the tendency to make all things new. Friends, there's transformational power that happens in our lives as a result of the resurrection. And that kind of transformation would not be normal, would not even really be possible unless Jesus rose from the dead. All right. I've got one more I want to make sure you understand this morning. Third, resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus makes a difference because it assures us of hope for the future. Now I'm really tapping where Nick was even in his prayer time. One of the greatest differences between the religions and the philosophies of the day is that they have a different version of the future. The future. What do you think about? What's the hope for the future? And there are so many individuals who have no hope at all. They live in the category of what I call uh, existential pessimism or deep despair. And unfortunately, a large majority of the world's elite over the many centuries of best thinkers live in that kind of despair, and many of them took their own lives. In fact, I went this weekend, and I looked up on Wikipedia the list of individuals who are philosophers who took their lives. Yes, I'm that weird, so yeah, you got that. And yes, that page exists. That, that, that's even more amazing. And I want to tell you, the first one that was on the list was Heraclitus, 475 B.C. And the last one on the list was Bernard Steigler in 2020. And I will tell you this. There were pages of individuals between those bookends. Pages. What I want to bring to your attention is many, many, many smart people live with no hope. In fact, they live with a sense of despair. That's what brings them to the space of ending their own lives is because they have no hope for the future. Now, I said there are philosophers and even religions. There's a major religion of the world today that doesn't believe that there's any kind of a line with a point and an ending, but majorly it's life is kind of a circle. It's reincarnation. You're always coming back and living in a circle again and again and again. It's like a merry-go-round. You never get off of it. That, that, that is not the Christian ideal. That's not the Jesus ideal of what the future is. The future uh, that Jesus brings is one in which he returns he came in humility and weakness the first time. That's not the second time. The second time, he comes in power and utter and sheer magnificence that will dazzle us. The second coming of Jesus is beyond our wildest dreams in every way. Power and glory. And he has the ability to bring to an end at least history as we know it. He will raise the dead. He will regenerate the universe. He will make everything new. 
All of creation, the Bible says, is groaning right to heaven, a new earth, a new righteousness that is inside all of us, perpetually living. We'll be new people with new bodies in a new world. Some would say, well, isn't that just kind of Christian wishful thinking? Is there any evidence for that kind of a fantastic claim? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yes, there is. The evidence is in the resurrection of Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the first of all of the old flesh that's renewed into the new. Jesus is the guarantee of the fact that if you're in him, you have a regenerated body that's on the way, one that no longer is under decay, a creation that's completely made new, a new heaven, a new earth. It's all coming, and he is the first fruit of that. He's the pledge of that to you and to me. And that is the substance of our hope, and that's what we believe is going to transpire. Let me just tell you, some of the bravest people I know live with that hope, and they are able to continue on because they hold that hope. I know some people that care for loved ones who are in decline, and they do so because they have that hope. They have the hope that one day all things are going to be made new, even their spouse that is broken. I know individuals that I consider extremely brave who have kids that have gone off the rails in some ways and they continue to love those children because they have this hope, the hope we're talking about right here, that there's possibility for change, there's possibility for a new future and that is what Jesus promises. And so we live with that kind of hope as a result of the resurrection. This Easter, we celebrate a risen Jesus. And that matters because he's still alive today. And Jesus is saying, I want to be with you. He comes to give the power to forgive, to forgive us, and we need that. He comes with the power of transform transformation so we're no longer the same people. He comes with a hope for the future, which we live out of. And we need that because the world and all around us is broken in sin. The best thing you could do this Easter is say, Yes to him. That's the best thing you could do. And the Bible says that Jesus is standing at the door knocking, knocking at the door of your house, knocking at the door of your heart. And he's saying, won't you open that door and let me in? If you do, my father and I will come in. We're going to dine with you. How tender, how emotional, how prescient that is to us that we, we, we have God himself that's coming to dine at our table. Jesus says, I want to be alive to you. I'm a living being, and I wish to interact with you. I'm living on. Now, now again, we're not crazy people, and let me just clarify this. We're not saying Jesus still has a body like us, and that if you trust Christ, suddenly he's going to you know, show up in person to you. We, we, we don't believe that. I mean, he has the power to do that, the ability to do that, but he doesn't normally do that. What he does is he lives now in a very spiritual way of saying, I wish to inhabit you, to make myself known to you in a spiritual way. Like when you pray, when you're in the scriptures, when you're with God's people, there's going to be senses that you have in which I am now very present with you. And that's what he is saying I'm going to do. I'm going to be real to you. I'm still real, even though I have a different body and I'm now in heaven, but I'm still available to you through the power of my spirit. And that's very real. How about you? Where are you with Jesus? And have you actually trusted in him 
Do, do you believe that he's actually raised from the dead? If you believe that, that's the biggest thing that's ever happened. Biggest thing that ever could happen. And that makes a difference for everything. And so I'm asking you, have you exercised your faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus? I'm back to Ichiro again. Nobody denies that Ichiro threw a 93-mile-an-hour fastball. It's fact. We can show you the tape of it. We can show you the radar gun. It, it happened. Did it make a difference? Well, it made us all feel good at the moment. Jesus is not like that. Jesus actually rose from the dead, and his resurrection makes a difference to us today. The resurrection of Jesus is the most valuable occurrence or the most valuable event in all of human history. (laughs) I hope you are included in God's plan. Let's all pray. Lord, we take this in on Easter morning that the resurrection still matters 2,000 years after it happened And there's reasons why that's so important to us. And we've rehearsed those again as your people. I'm thinking right now of individuals who are with us that that's brand new news. That they never really thought about that before. That you are actually alive today. And that you are calling and saying, won't you follow me? For those individuals that are in that space right now, Lord, I pray that right now they are saying yes to you. They're saying, I wish to transfer my allegiance from my own self-centeredness now to you, Jesus. And I wish for you to forgive me and to usher me into a new life. (laughs) Prayer is that simple. Faith is that simple. We are accepting something God has offered to us. Lord, I thank you for the individual's that have transferred from darkness to light today as a result of that. For the rest of us, Lord, it just feels good to be back together. It feels good to be your people together on an Easter morning, singing and worshiping and remembering that this is the very cornerstone, the center of our lives. Thank you for this Easter. Thank you for our risen Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.